Here we go. March 6, 2011. March 6, 2011. I want to start today by saying that I did get a, a call from a, a lady in um, Canada named Angela Roy. And I told Angela that I would mention her so that we would all know that she is out there and she's uh, very happy with what we're doing, or seems to be at least. And um, I just wanted to tell her thank you for listening to us. And, and then uh, she wants to come and visit. Yeah, she said so. Did you get, did we sent her email to you, Dave. Yeah, she wants to come and visit. Uh, I didn't have the heart to tell her that uh, she would, you know, add 10% to our congregation size, if you can. Um, but uh, it, that is kind of funny. You know, there's so many people that listen to us on the Internet now, and they all assume that we're some very large operation, when, of course, uh, we're not that at all. Um, so I don't want them to be disappointed when they come and visit. It's happened already, and... And the lady came up and said, we have more people meeting in our little coffee club than you have in your church. There are more people listening to your sermon on CD a week late than are coming to your uh, your lecture. And uh, that, by the way, is a very common thing, I'm sure. Anyway, again, welcome, Angela. It was a delightful call. I'm really thrilled that you called. And uh, I would hope that anybody else uh, feel free to call us at Cliffside uh, Area code 907-345-9980. So uh, we'll answer eventually, especially if you leave a message. Uh, today will be somewhat different. I use the adjective somewhat to draw a distinction from the usual different. This will be somewhat different. And I'm going to be the first to admit that Cliffside is different. It's different on purpose. I, we are purposely different, and none will so dispute that we've achieved that. We are. We are indeed. But this evening's lecture will be different from the different. And if that makes any sense to you at all, then you're probably different. Yeah. Consider yourself different. Anyway, I'm often asked to repeat topics and passages previously covered. This is an example of that today, especially, um, as Bill pointed out, especially if current events call for it, and today is certainly such a time. You, you, I wish the kids that were here last week were here again today because I would scare them senseless today. It, it is, well, they're already senseless. I, I, they're kids. I mean, I'm 16, I mean... How much I can do there. They'll be senseless for another 40 years if they're male. So. And all the women laughed. <laughs> and I have to admit, I, it was, it was a, it was a cheap joke. It always works. So that's why I did it. Um, but today will be one of those special request sermon days and will not be lecture discussion number 35. Let me repeat that for all of you folks on the Internet. Today will not be uh, lecture number 35 on the book of Romans. If you were here, you would see a whole bunch of happy faces and they, they, they're not cheering, but they are dancing in the aisles. But um, anyway, so instead... I had a meeting with New Grace, you know, who takes good care of us here. Um, and it's hard sometimes to remember that, but I have to remember it. They take very good care of us, and uh, the leadership does. Um, and uh, I'm very grateful to them, and I hope they know that. 
but anyway, I was having a meeting with them about things uh, that we may do and that uh, we're responsible for. And one of them wanted me to talk to him about uh, Ezekiel 38. He was really, really concerned. And so I spent an hour almost with him. He wanted to know what was going on because he had he's seen all this turmoil in the Middle East. And because of that conversation and some of you and the kids last week, uh, uh, I thought, wow, I better get this up and on the Internet. Um, I'm not sure how many people address it the way I do. Okay, I am sure there's not very many. Okay, I'm sure that there's not any. So it makes me feel like I have to do this. So we're going to do that today. We're going to revisit Ezekiel 38, Isaiah 19, and Revelation 20. (coughs) And if I get through all of that and time permits, uh, then I'm going to throw in Judges 19 because that was another special request. Uh, Misty asked me to do that. She said, could you you cover uh, Judges 19? And it really does fit in the last sermon that I did on Romans uh, which really was 1 Samuel 15 and 1 Samuel 28 and 2 Samuel 12, right? Uh, Judges 19 fits in there. I don't re- really include it I, um, very often, and, but I, I had to admit that Misty was right. I should have, and I will. The reason I don't include it is because it's one of my favorite dark sermons. It is dark. Judges 19 is really, really dark. Is the cell phone for me? Oh, it's the timer. Oh, the rice is done. Do we have gravy with the rice? Oh, good. Rice and gravy. Where was I? Oh, I need medicine. People actually think that I have medicine, that this is medicine. And you know, of course, that it is Diet Coke, which is really more of an aluminum poisoning, but uh, not so much of a medicine. Judges 19 is scary dark, really, really much evil there, and very misunderstood, Judges 19, 20, and 21. And it does indeed bring up King Saul, or the kingship of Saul, right to the front, right to the forefront. So it fits our discussion. But actually where it really fits, and where I usually put it, is when I'm talking about Sodom. Once again, all the time, get used to this. Genesis 6, the cause of the Noadic flood. Genesis 11, Babel, Nimrod, the cause of the dispersion. And Genesis 19, Sodom, the cause of the destruction of the cities on the plain. All of those three are necessary to unlock, uh, unlock what is the dark evil that is in Judges 19, 20, 21. And get, get used to those three, as I said. Those Genesis 6, Babel, and Sodom are inseparable. It, whenever you have, it's a sandwich, I said before, a, a Babel sandwich. You have Genesis on one side, the bookend is Sodom, Babel in the middle. And whenever you have a question about evil, start paying attention to Genesis 6, Babel, and Sodom. Most of the time, if not all the time, you're going to find what you're searching for. Why this happened? What happened here? And those three have to be studied side by side all the time. Don't separate them out. And then the obvious question becomes immediately, if I am saying to you that you have to look at Genesis 6, you have to look at Babel, and you have to look at Sodom side by side, then is the cause, the cause of the flood, the cause of the dispersion and the change of language, the cause of the destruction, is the cause the same in all three places? 
That becomes the obvious question. And once you got that, the student of Scripture pours over Judges 19, 20, and 21. There's a solemn verse there. That's why you need to spend time with it. There's a very solemn verse indeed, a fearful verse to consider. Judges 19.30, let me read it to you. No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Egypt came up from the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, the children of Israel. I said it bad, wrong. Let me repeat it. No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Think about the implications of that. No such deed has been done or seen. So if no other reason to read Judges 19, 20, and 21, find out what that deed was. It never happened before. And so there's a woman murdered, and her husband cut her into 12 pieces after she was dead, in case you think the husband murdered her. He didn't. He's involved in the sense that he gave her up to be murdered. Something happened to her. No such deed had ever been done or ever been seen like that in all the time of Israel. So what happened to that woman? It was so bad that he cut her up into 12 pieces and he scattered her to the 12 tribes saying that if you don't avenge this, this will happen to you. So what happened to that woman? Oh, and God almost blots out the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin refuses to avenge that woman. Why would they have refused to avenge her? See, that question comes. And God almost blots out the entire tribe of Benjamin. This massive war. What could cause this? And it's very important to understand Judges 19, 20, and 21. How come? Because it could happen again. A woman is mutilated by a group of men in a way that is astonishing. And then the husband cuts her to pieces and ships out each piece to show what happened to her and to call for vengeance. Hopefully we can get to it today because it does fit because where are we headed? Just by the passage of time, we are headed towards a very dark place. We are headed towards the end of the age of the Gentiles, which is the beginning of the tribulation. I don't believe, as you know, I'm a pre-tribulational rapture uh, position, if you will. And I don't believe that the church, because the focus is on Israel, not because the church doesn't deserve a beating, but the church is removed based on the Hebrew betrothal ceremony. If you don't know the 12 steps of the Hebrew betrothal ceremony, it will prove to you that the church does not come here or does not stay here for the rapture. I'm sorry, for the tribulation. It's raptured out. It is uh, just absolutely in stone. There's nothing you can do about it. If you have another position, I'm sorry. And not really. Fake sorry. But anyway... Before we do Judges, we're going to do Ezekiel 38-39, Isaiah 19, Revelation 20 today. Special sermon, special request. Do you do special requests? The answer is yes, I do. 
And this is, uh, we're going to do two of them back to back, uh, just because I think they're so important. Why do we start with Ezekiel 38? Because Judges sounds really interesting, doesn't it? As I'm writing this, I'm going, wow, I know they'd love to do Judges. But we're not going to do Judges unless I get there. Am I going to get there? No, there's no hope. But I really would like to. By the way, how do you solve Judges? How do you solve it? Because you're going to read it on your own, and you should. How do you solve it? It's going to freak you out. You look for Christ. Find the Christology. Find the types of Christ. Find the types of Israel. Find the types of the Gentiles. Find what, it's an actual historical event. It literally happened the way it said. The people did what they did. The war that was fought was fought exactly like that. Find the typology, though, and you will solve it. You will understand it. And you will understand, and then compare it to the Babel sandwich. Genesis 6, uh, Babel and Sodom. But anyway, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Isaiah 19, uh, is on your television news. I watched it today as I'm sitting down uh, um, playing the banjo in the wrong key. Uh, see, Ken, about that. Um, I know I am watching the precursor to Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's happening. And if it's, what is the consequences? I'm sorry. What are the implications to you and to me and to this church and to your families if we are very close to Ezekiel 38, 39? When I say very close, um, Tuesday. What's going to happen if that's the case? And I don't necessarily think it's that close. But what if it was? That's why we're starting with it. It's on the Internet in, an, in astonishing ways. The Middle East is coming to a boil again. It has done it before, but this is a little different. It's more of a boil in what way? Mostly before it was who fighting who in the Middle East. It was Egypt fighting Israel. How did Egypt do? Not so good. Got wiped out every time they tried it. The rest of them were all scared. Now it's changing. Egypt... Libya, uh, Yemen, Tunisia, uh, Jordan, Lebanon. This is a a nation-by-nation event. They're all getting involved. This is a planned movement that is coming to fruition. This plan has been there for a while, and the Middle East is coming to a boil. And when it does... Ezekiel 38, 19, Isaiah 19, Revelation 20 must be talked about, must be on the table. And that's what we're going to do today as we watch this amazing change that's occurring. Now, it could, it could simmer back down, but if it doesn't, if it continues to boil, we will have Ezekiel 38. Now, it's really kind of sort of misleading to include Revelation 20, or it can be to, to some. Let, let me put these on the board. Well, wait, I'll, I'll do it here in a second. I've got to monitor my trips up and down, so I'll put it all on the board at once when I get there. It can be sort of misleading to include Revelation 20 to some, but it's not. Revelation 20 explains Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I have to get there today. If nothing else, I've got to make sure you know about Revelation 20 so that when you read Ezekiel 38-39, you can compare the two together and figure out more about what's happening in Ezekiel 38. Okay, let's start. This, as you know, most of you know, Ezekiel 38 is the great prophecy 
It's the latter days, end times, end of the age of the Gentiles prophecy of the invasion from the north of Israel, an army led by a country from the north. It gets a confederacy together and it comes to take something away from Israel. Now what's the obvious question right off the bat? What are they, what are they after? They're after something. That's the immediate obvious question. There's other obvious, the most obvious of the obvious question. That's that one. What's the leading country? Who are the other countries? Why do they do this? Again, what does Israel have that they want? What's the something? And then can we figure out when it's going to happen? Is it possible for a Christian scholar with his Bible to to look at the current events and figure out the time that Ezekiel 38 is going to happen? Is it possible? Oh, I think it is. I think it is. We can't tell. We have the rapture. We're only gonna, we're not gonna know the rapture. But we're gonna know when this war is about to happen. By the way, Israel as a nation has been thinking about this conflict since they formed in 1948. They expected it right after World War II. They really did. They thought Russia would hit them right after World War II and drive them out. And they were prepared. They were prepared in 1967. They were prepared in 1972. They have been prepared. They're, they're, they meet about it. They talk to Bible scholars about it. It's very important to the nation of Israel. They know it's going to happen. They also know it has not happened yet. If you have the view that it already happened, well, you're in complete disagreement with the entire nation. There are some who believe that it already happened. Israel doesn't think so. Is it about to happen? Will will we see it? Will we be here and watch it happen? Could it happen very soon? What does that mean? Do you know how fearful it will be if we're here and we see it happen? Why would that be fearful? Why would you be afraid? Because you might think, now's a good time, run them credit cards up. Maybe now's a good time, go get that big screen TV and watch... Watch the news channels in high death. Maybe you'd be thinking that way, and I wouldn't oppose you thinking that way, but why would you be afraid? Because the clock's about to run out. How's your family? How's your friends? How's your neighbors? How's your kids? How's your grandkids? Brothers and sisters. Are they saved? you got to hurry. Anyway, that's the beginning questions. These are the questions many are asking right now, right today. Tomorrow there will be people. I sit down at a meeting and I got a, in a restaurant essentially and a guy just says, you have got to explain this to me for almost an hour while the rest of them are waiting for me to be done. He didn't care. He wanted to, to, he wanted to know. And we talked about every conceivable thing. And so I went home and I went, wow. That's my experience. What's really going out there? 
Fear and dread are on the horizon again. Once again, the Middle East, the, the world is in turmoil. And our economic structures are weakening. They're talking about a world currency again. Uh, gold is rising. Why is gold rising? It's in a relationship. Is gold becoming more scarce? No. What's happening is the dollar is weakening. So it's a relationship to the gold. To gold, I have a I have a friend and he plays here every now and then, Big Louie, and, and I keep telling him to write Louie's blues song, and that'd be the title of the song, Louie's blues song. And he said, and the title I gave him was, uh, "Your dollar's worthless and you can't eat your gold, baby." I'm not interested in buying gold. I don't see any value to it. I heard a guy on the radio the other day say, you know, I am in gold. I have bought a lot of gold, but I've also bought a lot of lead. Now, that makes sense to me. I can see where that's working out. Gold, unless you're going after werewolves, I don't see any real value to it. Is that right? Is it the, I don't know. I don't know what gold does. But your money will be worthless and you can't eat your gold baby. Anyway, economic structures are weakening around the world. You know that. It's on television all the time. And people don't know what to do. If we go into a hyperinflationary uh, thing, we're going to see food shortages. We're already, by the way, that's what's causing these riots. When we quantitative, what's called quantitative easing, when Bernanke, the chairman of the Fed, decided that what he wanted to do was monetize the debt, and he did monetize the debt. He bought, uh, he bought uh, uh, bonds, essentially, with the Fed. So, and the Fed is propping up the, the bond system of this country, and it's propping up the stock market of this country, in my opinion, and that is causing the dollar to fall, and that's causing food shortages. And, and that, that is part of the problem. It, it, civilization cannot withstand famine. Cannot. If we start to have food shortages, by the way, if you're going to invest in something gold, get corn. Yeah, pretty soon you'll trade your can of corn for somebody's car. The problem, I'm kidding about that. The problem you would have with that trade is that you'd need fuel. Otherwise you'd just have, you'd have a big dog house, I guess. I don't know. We tried that once. Zeke, he ate the chairs or the cushions right off the, that wasn't a good plan by me. I, oh, he'll be afraid of the fireworks. I'll put him in the car. Whoa. He dug himself out, essentially, of a Mitsubishi, and I'll never forget that lesson ever again. He was a border collie, and I learned about border collies, and now my son is learning about border collies. (laughs) That makes me laugh. I'm sad for him. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do I think it'll build his character? Absolutely. I hope he has a kid just like his border collie. That's what I'm after. Now, there's vengeance. Anyway, I'm trying to be serious. We, If we have food shortages, again, civilization cannot withstand famine. Starving people are not civilized. They do whatever they have to do. Um, I say many times, I've said this many times, I will burn the Mona Lisa to keep my family warm. I won't hesitate. Sorry about your Mona Lisa. No, I'm not really sorry, am I? Uh, I'll run into the Library of Congress and take the books and make firewood out of them to keep my children warm. That's me. 
What's going to happen if we have food shortages and famine, if we have fuel and oil production, if that falls? If Saudi Arabia were to fall uh, and they shut those oil wells off because radical Islamic thinking is 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 trying to rise up. They are preparing, as I said a few weeks ago, for the 12th Imam to come. And they believe that the way the 12th Imam comes is if they create as much chaos in the world as they can. If they get a control, uh, and he will come when the chaos is at its peak. And if they get control of Saudi Arabia, if Saudi Arabia falls, Libya is right on the brink of failing, isn't it? We have a civil war in, in Libya right now. If Libya falls, that's about a million and a half barrels a day. Saudi Arabia falls, holy mackerel. Because the first thing they'll do if it falls into radical Islamic thinking is they'll shut that off to cause chaos and starvation in the world. You can't move food without fuel. You can't grow food without fuel. By the way, the United States is extraordinarily powerful because we feed the world. You can take our money away from us and we'll go, okay. You can tell us, for example, that uh, uh, we're uh, we're devaluing your dollar. And we'll go, okay, how much is that bag of rice worth? How about that bag of wheat? Ooh, deal changer. If something were to happen to the United States, food production capability, uh, now that's a big problem. Something happens to the Saudi Arabian oil production, that's a big problem. So all of this that's going on in the news today, and I urge you to watch it, are these the birth pangs of Ezekiel 38? Is Ezekiel 38 very near? And we should be able to answer these kind of questions. Every Christian should know Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Isaiah 19 and Revelation 20. Now more than ever you should know them. I should know them. We should all know them. So we're going to review it again. We're going to get it fresh in everyone's mind. I want you to go home and tell your kids, get on your book face. I, I insulted the children last week. I called uh, I called their uh, rock superstar lady, Lady Gog Gog, and they they thought that was disrespectful to her. <laughs> I told them I did it on purpose. I really do know her name, but I like Lady Gog Gog. You'll see why here in a minute. But. Get on your book face and tell your co-workers tomorrow. There's no better way to start a conversation and say something like, hey, I was reading Ezekiel 38 and 39 yesterday. What do you think? Do you think the invasion from Russia is going to happen in your lifetime? So here we go. Let's read it. Uh, I'm not going to read Ezekiel 39 because that's what's called the Hebrew principle of recurrence. I'll explain that next week. When I do the rest of this, and I do Judges 19 and 20 because of Misty. So here we go. Open your textbooks up. Look at Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Mishash, and Tubal. 
and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Now, some of you may not have Libya there because uh, the word is put and it is not lub. So many say that that is not Libya. We'll get to that in a minute. Some say it is. Uh, my particular translation is set on Libya. I will admit there's some discord here in the- theological circles about that. Okay, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomar, Togomah from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So God is saying, I am going to pull this far uppermost nation from the north. Gog is their leader. It is the land of Magog. It has the cities of Meshesh and Tubal. By the way, that translates, Meshesh, that translates almost, uh, if you take the ancient documents, um, especially the ancient Hebrew documents, because they were concerned about this, uh, Meshesh uh, translates into Moscow. So, and Moscow is absolutely, look on the map, dead north of Jerusalem. Anyway, a nation, most believe it is Russia, is going to assemble, is going to start a confederacy and march south. Verse 7, prepare yourself and be ready. He's going to put hooks in their mouth. He's going to draw them. What's the obvious question really fast? What's the hook? What's the hook? How does he get them to move? Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land. So at the end of the age of the Gentiles, the latter years, this army is coming into the land of those brought back from the sword. Those brought back from the sword, those are the Israelites. Okay, and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. So let me explain that. I have a time when Israel is desolate and then people were brought back from the sword. In other words, they were underneath persecution and they were brought back. And now this land, Israel, is no longer desolate. When did that happen? 1948. That's when it happened. which had long been desolate, they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. doesn't mean they're at peace. It means they believe that they're secure. Does Israel believe today that they're secure? Oh, yeah. How come they believe they're secure? They have one of the most powerful militaries in the world. By the way, who armed them? The United States did. Good for us. By the way, who armed the Assyrians? The United States did. Good for us. By the way, who armed the Egyptians? The United States did. Good for us. That's the blessing of the Via Maris, if you will, the highway between Assyria, Israel, and Egypt. The United States has armed those three companies, and they are blessed by God at some point. And we'll get to that in Isaiah 19. In case I don't, I want to throw it in there for those who listen on the Internet, uh, who outnumber us by horrible amounts. Um, and every time, as I said, the Angela and the rest want to come and visit us, I am petrified they'll find out what it's really like here. 
Yes, laugh loud, because I think there's more of us. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, uh oh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'm not on the pain meds anymore, you know that, right? But I mean, that residual stuff. No, it doesn't make any difference at all, does it? You will ascend, coming like a storm. That army will come like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. What is that? That's an infantry. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. So it will be Russia with all its troops and many peoples with them. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. An evil plan. What is evil about this plan? You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people. Not people who are in peace, but people who will who will defend themselves, who are not uh, um, imperialistic, who dwell safely. Israel really believes their military is going to be able to withstand uh, any invasion. They are prepared. The chances that they are a nuclear country is is a hundred percent. They have as much missile technology as we do. We gave them some. They developed their own. Someday for fun, just look at the Nobel Prize winning physicists and chemists and engineers and whatever you may wish and see who they are. Do you know who they are by the hundreds? They're who? They're the Israelites. And then for fun, look and see how many uh, Iranians or whatever, Saudis are winning those prizes. How many? So they are secure. They feel secure. Evil plan. Let me go back. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. And again, a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to Russia, say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you carried, have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Again, what is the something, the great plunder that causes, what is the hook that brings this nation and this confederacy, this great army down into Israel? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safety, safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days. And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. He's going to put a hook in the mouth of Russia. And the purpose is so that the nations, the world will know it is God. 
When I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the fields, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake in my presence. How many earthquakes happen in Israel? One's going to happen. Conveniently, at the same time, they're being invaded. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. Every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. In other words, he's going to cause such chaos amongst this army that they will begin to attack each other. So they're going to cannibalize themselves. They're a confederacy of different nations. They really don't like each other, by the way. They're just all together for one purpose. What is the purpose? Whatever that something is, and what's the other purpose? Russia wants the something, but they all hate the Jews. They all do. Enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So, But they don't really like each other. This has been discussed in military circles for a long time. They realize if Russia does come and does invade and it was is successful, what would the Arabs then do to the Russians? What would the Middle East people do to the Russians? They'd drive them out because they consider them what? Infidel, that's right. So they'll tell, tolerate them for a while to get rid of the Israelites if it were possible. But eventually they would turn on them. So that just happens right here. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones. God loves to throw rocks, by the way. He's a really good shot. Fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So everyone on earth is going to see this happen, and they're going to know that Israel did not repel this army, that it was destroyed by earthquakes. It was destroyed by them turning on one another. It was destroyed by rocks hitting them. And they'll know that God did it. Okay, what have we got here? As much as you are aware, as I said, this is a much contended, much debated passage. Scholars battle over each and every aspect. And if you intend to become an expert on this passage in Ezekiel 39, then I would advise you that you need to read all the arguments. Read them all. All the views. But as most of you are also aware, I subscribe to the scholarship of Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum, who I believe presents the most cogent position in his treatise, The Footsteps of the Messiah. I believe that's the definitive work ever written on the latter years or the end times with respect to the Israelology aspect of it, which is what we're talking about here. It is probably the essential commentary for those who study the tribulational period. It's only 800 pages, so get started today. I'm sure if you read a page a day, it only take you 800 days. Of course, you have to go back and read the page again and again and again. But it's worth it. 
It's going to take you for a while. So you can, he's still alive. Dr. Fruchtenbaum is. He's a brilliant theologian. I heartily recommend that you get one of these. We used to give them away. Uh, if you do buy one, tell him that you're from Cliffside and he'll charge you double. That is the joke, by the way, that uh, my nurse told me the other day, uh, the nurse of uh, Dr. Muffalato, who said, uh, you're just really fortunate because we happen to have a special on double hernias or bilateral hernias. Uh, buy one hernia for full price, get the other hernia for half price. So that's actually, I'm very grateful for that. I, I Huh? Yeah, but for me, she said it was double for both. But uh, I don't know how I annoyed her. I... I it's doing so good to be likable. Somehow, I'm, my true personality does come out, especially on medications. Anyway, I will forgo, for the sake of expediency, those who have alternating, I'm sorry, alternate or opposing interpretations to uh, what has to be attributed to Dr. Fruchtenbaum. Frankly, because those positions fail to withstand any scrutiny, it doesn't take long to just blow them out. And I have a Bible commentary that I'm reading that I have here underneath the text, and it is it is pure nonsense. It can't be defended, but it was took whoever wrote it a long time to write it, and I just drew a line through it and wrote in the margin: "Read Fruchtenbaum." So they fail to withstand scrutiny. And that's not to say that Dr. Fruchtenbaum's work is without error. That's just to say that by far his is the most faithful to Scripture. So to repeat the question, what do we have here? What exactly is this prophecy? It's saying the Middle East is going to explode. Explode. Is it exploding right now? It is exploding right now. And a confederacy of nations is going to gather, and they're going to gather uh, primarily led by one nation, which I have already identified as Russia, and that, and they will come south. And the purpose is to get something. Russia wants to get something, but the rest of them really don't care about the something. What they want to do is exterminate Israel. Let's see here. So, here is your... Te- whoops. Oh, what's that sound? Causes that. Ezekiel 38, 39. Isaiah 19. Revelation 20. That's what you're doing. The Middle East is going to explode and a major infantry war is going to occur. And right off the bat, that should make you start to wonder, what would cause an infantry war of all things? Have we seen an infantry war lately? Well, a little bit, but mostly what do we do first? Yeah, we call in the Air Force, we blow them to pieces, and then we run in with the infantry, right? That's not going to happen here. Not going to happen. So you've got to ask, this cloud is coming. There's no softening up. Now, is it because the Israeli uh, Air Force is so extraordinary that no Air Force can go against them? But that doesn't make sense because then they would just take out the infantry. So the obvious question becomes, how do I get to a situation where I have an infantry war? A confederacy of nations is going to gather... But God is going to intervene. And you, these nations are identified. Uh, Russia clearly cannot. You, you can argue about Rosh if you want, but you can't take away Moscow and Tobolsk. 
Um, Iran is Persia, by the way, if you didn't know that. So uh, Russia, Iran, and Turkey is clearly identified. So we know that those three nations for sure are going to strike. Do the Turks and the Iranians and the Russians right now all hate a nation of Israel? First, there is a nation of Israel. Be aware of that. A nation of Israel exists. And not only does it exist, but Russia, Iran, and Turkey all hate it. In fact, we had that blockade, didn't we, a few a few months ago. Who was involved in that blockade? Who was trying to break the blockade? The Iranians? What did they just do? They just sent two ships, by the way, through the Suez Canal. But the Iranians were involved in the breaking of that blockade. Who else? The Turks. And here we go. It's on your news. It's in the news. Southern Russia will be involved, or really Armenia, and and that that we know. I should put Armenia up here. Or southern Russia, the the cities. We have the two C's, don't we? And this is why you had to take geography uh, in school. I, I'm. You have the Caspian Sea, okay? You have the Black Sea, right? And you have the Mediterranean Sea. You have nations up here, Israel right in here, right? Mediterranean Sea, I'll make it bigger. These seas are naval passage points. The best way to move a mass amount of infantry is with the Navy. Trucks is a bad idea. Why is trucks a bad idea? Well, who knows? One, they're sitting ducks and they move, but they're hard to defend. But two, you've got to have the fuel. Uh, Right now, what is the what is our Treasury Secretary, bless his little heart, saying about how he's going to handle the fuel if there becomes a crisis? He's going to go into the National Fuel Reserve System, isn't he? We have a reserve fuel system. He's going to drain that so that everybody can get to work. Uh, that's the downside of that. What's the downside of that? Well, yeah, nobody wants to go to work. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, Yes, yes. We're moving vast amounts of men uh, by, by. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it conventional means anymore. But certainly, they're moving very slowly, and they need the navy. And so we have this. We have. You got to think about. If I'm going to invade Israel, I have to get to these seaports. I have to have the cooperation of the countries that control. That's the Ukraine. That's Armenia. You know, I got all those countries in there, right? I got Bosnia, Serbia, Herzegovina, I can barely say that. I got Croatia up in here. And all these countries that I have to be pretty friendly with, Bulgaria, Romania. I got to get access to those seas and I have those ports and I have to move those. That's why Turkey is critically important. We needed Turkey in order to invade Iraq. And when Turkey began to say you can't use our military bases to fly over, that's a big problem. So all of those countries have to be involved, and, and the three that are absolutely critically necessary, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and they are identified specifically in the Bible. And I want you to think about that. When was this written? Oh, my goodness. A thousand years ago. And Russia... Iran, Turkey specifically identified, and there is a nation of Israel. There hasn't been a nation of Israel since 586 B.C. And now there's a nation sitting there. And Ezekiel 38 has absolutely come to the place where there is a nation, there is a Russia, there is an Iran, there is a Turkey, and those three, and there is an Armenia, and those four are completely, totally ready to attack Israel. What are the chances of that, boys and girls? Crazy. 
No, not crazy. Exactly what we would expect God to do. He has an advantage, doesn't he? What's his advantage? Well, he's outside of time. Yeah, he's, oh, well, there we go. I mean, he can see all things simultaneously outside of time. So the nations around the Caspian and the Black Sea are likely involved as well. Not just Russia, Iran, and Turkey. It's hard to figure out who these are, but the Ukraine could be there, as I said, Bulgaria. It also seems that Syria and Jordan are involved because I have to have them. Why do I have to have Syria, not not us Syria, but Syria and Jordan? Why do I have to have Syria and Jordan? Because of their relationship geographically to Israel. Now, at least I need Syria and Jordan to be hostile to Israel or it won't work. Are they hostile to Israel? Absolutely they are. And it, and uh, so I expect that they're, they're going to be involved in this invasion force. And somehow maybe Ethiopia and Somalia, that's possible. Uh, they're in the mix. Germany and France... Gomer, it's called, uh, it's called in the ancient writings, Germania. Now, it doesn't have to be where Germany is today, but it has to be the Germania area. Uh, it could be southern and France as well. You know, that was Charlemagne's empire at, at one time. And what, and the, and the, the, the places have moved around a little bit geographically. So be aware of that, but know that that's the general area. Um, Germany and France, um, are probably in this in some way. Now, some, as I said, some Bibles identify Libya. Mine does. My translation does, New King James. But realize that's in dispute. If Libya is an attacking nation, then Ethiopia and Somalia are probably out. If put means Libya. And I'm watching Libya freaking out. Okay, not freaking out, going, wow. Could this be happening right before my eyes? I'm certainly thinking that it could. Now, a couple of things are especially significant. Who's missing? Who's missing? Egypt is missing. Absolutely right. Who else is missing? Assyria is missing. Where's Assyria? Northern Iraq. Southern Turkey. That's the Kurds. You've heard me say many, many times, this country went to war and a result of that is the establishment of the Assyrian nation again for the first time since 600 B.C. Essentially, Nebuchadnezzar took out the Assyrians and the Israelites at the same time. So almost, my goodness, 2,600 years ago was the last time we had an Assyria, was the last time we had an Israel. And now they're both back, just like Isaiah 19 said they would be. Just like Ezekiel said they would be. Okay, now, so France and Russia and Germany and Turkey and Libya perhaps and Iran and Syria and Jordan and and that's my general guess. And you can't get... A real specific guess, except for Turkey, Russia, and Iran, and Armenia. Now, expect this, by the way, because I have two groups of people here. On one side, I have the communists. So that's Russia, right? On the other hand, I have the Islamists, uh, I- Iran, and Jordan, and Syria. Uh, and expect that the communists and the Islamists will be united because they each possess a deep, deep loathing for the nation of Israel. And that makes you ask the obvious question. What's the obvious question? 
Okay, why does why do the communists and the Islamists always seek to exterminate the nation of Israel? Because Stalin almost did, right? Killed 10, 12 million of them. And the Islamists have been trying to kill them for generations, especially now. What's the answer to that? Why communism? Communism at its core is what? It's atheism. That's right. It's atheistic. It is cessation of existence. It, it believes that there is no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no value. There's no, this is a random, chaotic environment. There's hopelessness. It's called fatalism. Atheism ultimately descends into fatalism. And all of this ends in cessation of existence for each and every one of us. That is communism. That is the philosophy of communism. And so from that philosophy comes all kinds of interesting ideas. First and foremost is killing the Jews or eugenics. Islam at its core has the belief that it is Allah and not Yahweh that is creator God. And so the very existence of the nation of Israel, this public, this, this public testifying, this, this witness, if you will, against both of those, Israel says there is a creator God and you do not cease to exist and there is a judgment. Just the, no other proof of the inspiration of the Bible um, is needed. No other proof of the absolute truth that the Bible is the word of God. No other proof is needed other than the existence of Israel. The fact that we have a nation of Israel that exists is an unbelievable, uh, uh, prophetic, in- incredible truth. The Jewish state screams and screams and screams that Yahweh, Jehovah, YHVH, the God of Israel, is the truth, the only one truth. See, I I just got this megaphone doing that. And it also screams that atheism is not true. So I got a powerful megaphone. They know that Israel is back. They know it's been 2,600 years. They know people are studying this. They know the impact the nation of Israel is having on communistic thinking, philosophy. So do the Islamists. They know. And so this invasion is a culmination of their efforts. These are the amateurs, though, by the way. These are the keystone cops at killing the people of Israel because the Antichrist is coming right behind them. As an aside, I should note that atheistic communism is at its apex where my father told me about this. He said one of the things that shocked me more than anything else is atheistic communism is alive again where? And the United States is in the United States. And it's happening. It's the largest at its apex in my lifetime. It could get larger, but right now it's the largest it's ever been, the most powerful it's ever been. At the most, there's only 8 to 10% of the United States that are communists. Um, but they control, or they're seeking to control anyway, uh, the major media, the academia, and of course the, the, the labor movement, because that's what Marx and Engels, that's how they devised it, right? So... Obviously, they eventually succeed somehow because Ezekiel 38 says they do. Because we are, in this country, we are the young lions of Tarshish. We are, Tarshish is Great Britain, and we are the offspring of Great Britain. And Great Britain, uh, the offspring is Australia, Canada, India, New Zealand, United States. That's us. We're in there. And what do we do? 
when this war breaks out, this invasion comes out. What does Ezekiel 38 say it does? Does it say the young lions of Tarship take up arm, take up arms and defend Israel? No, we don't. What do we do? Yeah, we complain. We got a lot of words, lots of words, great flowing words. We protest, but we don't help. Israel will be alone. So it's for us to watch atheistic communism grow within the United States. We've got to watch that because that's who funds the, the Islamic forces. That's who funds these little events. This is a sign that Ezekiel 38:39 is on the brink of fulfillment. It is for us to watch the Middle East become unstable. Governments becoming more so aggressive, particularly Iran, Turkey, Libya. It's for us to notice the Russian influence, watch the naval activity. Because they're coming through that Caspian, Black, and Mediterranean zone, Red Sea. Every time you see Caspian, Black, Mediterranean, Red Sea in the news, pay attention. Pay attention to the United States, Great Britain, Australia, Canada, becoming more and more sympathetic to Islam. Because Ezekiel 38 says we will become more and more communist, less and less on the side of God and Israel. Have you seen that happen? Yes, you have. Does that mean Ezekiel 38 is really near to you and me and us? Yes, it does. Is that a good thing? Yes, it is. Really good for us. And pushing 60. Sorry about you 20-year-olds. Not really fake sorry there. This must happen. I know I'm running a little long. My musicians are threatening me. It must happen. It must happen. Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen. There is nothing anyone can do to stop it. It is biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy always come true. Okay, now what are the hooks? What makes Russia move? I'll try to solve that next week. Know that Gog and Agag is the same word essentially. Okay? And know this, that not since the Bolsheviks killed Tsar Nicholas has there been an autocratic ruler of Russia. Do we have an autocratic ruler? It hasn't, we haven't had one for a hundred years. Do we have an autocratic ruler of a, a Gog? Do we have one? First time we have a man running that country that doesn't care about the Communist Party, doesn't care about the Politburo, doesn't care about nothing. He is the autocrat of Russia, just as Ezekiel 38 said would happen. I will have Turkey, I will have Iran, I will have an autocrat ruling Russia, and they will come against the nation, Israel. It's all there. Every single piece is there. How close are we? What's he after? He's after spoil, plunder. What does Israel possess that he wants? He, Israel has something that Russia wants. Some technology. Some advancement. They have something. He wants it. And the condition of the world is such that he can launch an infantry invasion without worrying about Tarshish or the young lions of Tarshish counterattack. What's happened to us? Why won't we fight why won't we rise up and defend the nation of God? Why won't we do it? There are, you know, what's happened to us? Have we been knocked out by something? You know, why aren't aircraft flying? What's wrong with the, why isn't your cell phone working? By the way, 
I don't have a cell phone. Because why? Ezekiel 38. They also cause brain cancer. Don't you read all of that? Doesn't seem to be any cruise missiles or submarines or aircraft. What, what causes this to occur? An extraordinary set of circumstances has got to be in position here. And all of this goes. I'm going to read Isaiah 19. Next week I'll do, I'll do Revelation 20, but we'll go Isaiah 19 and then I'll shut it down. How much longer could I go on this subject, by the way? I could, I could keep you here for days and days and days. We'd have to send out for pizza. You'd all miss work. You already know I can get the TV to run, right? Let me just read this. Isaiah, I'll, I'll skip part of it and just go down to 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. It says that the Egyptians will speak Hebrew, by the way. So will the Assyrians. Do I have a lot of Jews in Egypt? How'd they get there? That's where they came out of, right? Do I have a lot of Jews in Assyria, Kurdistan? How'd they get there? Sennacherib came and took the ten tribes into captivity and shipped them over there. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Does God know that? He's omniscient. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Did he send Jonah to Nineveh, which is where? Assyria? Did did the Ninevites convert? Is that a prophecy? That's a true event, and it also is a prophecy. Did he put Joseph into Egypt and save Egypt and save the known world? Did the Egyptians, did they convert? They did. That's a prophecy. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. They will both serve God. In that day, Israel will be one of the three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. How good is it going to be to be an Egyptian or an Assyrian down the stretch? That's good. It doesn't get better than that, baby. Let's rise and be dismissed. We'll clean it up next week. Sorry I didn't get to judges. That's really cool. I'll do that next week, too. (laughs) Steve laughs. Let's rise and be dismissed.